Hello and welcome to the Hindus in Focus podcast. I'm Anand Krishnan, Mitha Hindu in Chennai, your host for today. Tensions are rising on the India-China border. The last few weeks in May, there have been as many as four incidents along the undefined line of actual control. On May 5th and May 9th, at Pangongso Lake in eastern Ladakh and Nakula in North Sikkim, troops from both sides were even involved in fisticuffs, leading to injuries. The Indian Army chief said on May 14th that both sides had since disengaged at the two spots. Two face-offs are still ongoing at the Galwan River Valley and Demchok in Ladakh, the western sector of the India-China border. As I reported in The Hindu today, a greater capability by India as it boosts infrastructure to patrol up to the LAC, coupled with an increasingly assertive Chinese posture, is now fueling tensions along the border. That is at least the view of several former Indian officials. You can find a link to our report at the bottom of this podcast. But what explains the dynamic at the border? Where is the India-China relationship headed? Helping us make sense of these new developments today is Zoroar Daulat Singh, who is a historian and strategic affairs expert based in New Delhi. He is an adjunct fellow at the Institute of Chinese Studies in Delhi and the co-founder of the North Cap University. His research focuses on India's foreign policy and various dimensions of India-China relations. His previous books include India-China Relations, The Border Issue and Beyond, Power and Diplomacy, India's Foreign Policies During the Cold War. Thank you so much, Zarawar, for joining us today. Thank you, Alan. Thank you for having me on your podcast. So, Zarawar, how unusual is it, the current situation? We have seen different face-off incidents between India and China before. We saw that uh, in Depsang in 2013, Chumar in 2014 with two prominent incidents uh, that made news. But we're now looking at four incidents that have taken place very close to each other. Is this something that is unusual? Certainly, this is, uh, as you as you described, that there have been a series of, I mean, face-offs are quite common, but the standoff situations where both sides sort of dig in, and it's a process that could last up to several weeks, those are actually rare. They're not as common. So, so this one particularly has has gained a lot of spotlight, partly because uh, I, I, they've, they've sort of uh, both sides, based on what we know, have not been adhering to some of the norms that they have agreed on in the past. This, the types of uh, rules that they had agreed they would rely upon when they do this forward broading and uh, entering into these these gray zones on the LSC. So, so it is. Uh, I, I wouldn't say it's uh, being alarmist, but certainly the fact that uh, there is a sense of a new normal here is something that it should be of concern and it should be of concern even to the political side that this is now becoming a pattern that we are getting accustomed to let me let me just broaden this up by giving a little bit of a backdrop to to the listeners because at times we we tend to think that uh, the entire border is it is 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 being challenged which is not true we're talking of in this case the gray zones which is the areas that uh, overlap between the Indian perception of the line of actual control and the Chinese uh, perception of the line of actual control. So there'll be these overlap areas and they spread across uh, most of the sectors of the India-China border. But in this case, we are beginning to see a lot more 
sort of tension or or probing on on the western sector which is eastern ladakh but, but certainly these forward probings into the gray zone were not intended for a security sense because uh, that usually happens in the rare both sides have a defense in depth capabilities which are uh, much further back from the frontiers and uh, so so the lsc transgressions always were meant to be a limited purpose now this is where the problem has arrived today where these tactical sort of uh, probings have assumed a life of its own and why they assumed a life of its own because the parallel political process of negotiations and dialogue between the special representatives which were always intended to look at the bigger picture of a grand bargain and reach that settlement uh, sort of has stalled as far as the most valuable pieces of territory are concerned india and china both already possess that so china possesses excitation its control over that area is robust india controls arunachal pradesh including tawang so the areas that were sent were central to the dispute nobody is really challenging those parts we are talking of on the margins here so sometimes it's uh, it's tempting to sort of blow this out of proportion for me what's more troubling is that the parallel track sr talks and border patrolling were meant to be as part of a common coherent process that would eventually lead to more serious negotiations and uh, developing a framework that could then uh, lay out that what were the concessions each side would make where would the lines eventually settle but when that is stalled you're seeing this back and forth and now it's it's getting sort of into aggressive actions as as, as what the army chief indian army chief himself has uh, spoken about and that that's a troubling sign so certainly this is not a new normal that we should uh, be willing to accept and i would uh, hope the political leadership on both sides resumes the political track because this is otherwise a recipe for at some stage a, a conflict on the frontier if we can come back to the situation on the lac so the situation is that india patrols up to its version of the lac china patrols up to its version of the lac and we have protocols both in 2005 and 2013 that laid on what both sides are supposed to do which is not tail the other patrol not engage them it even says you have to be polite and wave your flag and banner and go back to base but what has changed is right now india is playing catch up on the infrastructure side extending roads into areas where it couldn't before china is sitting happily since it's already built these roads into deep areas and now the chinese seem to be saying you can't do what we've already done so isn't it uh, time for india and china to perhaps have a conversation about this and try and make some sort of compromise in how they adjust to this new situation absolutely so it's actually the word is absolutely an adjustment so there is maybe we shouldn't call it a change in the balance of power but certainly a change in the in the in the way both sides used to approach the 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 border so if we go back to some of these agreements in the 1990s the 93 96 there was one very important principle in those cbms the confidence building measures that laid out some of the the later ones that you have described that the concept of equal security that uh, both sides have a legitimate right to uh, uh, ensure the security of their frontiers so because of a um, uh, asymmetry in the terrain the chinese have always had a much more flexible approach to border management they've never had to go right up to the front to develop uh, 
forward bases. They have uh, interior lines of communications. They can always go back and forth and laterally cross sectors. We've never had that luxury. So, uh, so th- which is why this uh, uh, this uh, this urgency on the Indian side uh, over the last few years to develop that infrastructure because in times of a crisis or even in times of symbolic showing of claims, you could never reach up to your claim line rapidly or in a reasonable time period until you had these lines of communication. So in that sense, uh, the Indian side, of course, does have a legitimate uh, right to do so. I think where the problem has arrived is that uh, this this adjustment process uh, has has somehow not been able to uh, find common ground in the way they're talking to each other about this. So the Chinese have some sort of a fear that this is going to lead to uh, a security dilemma or it's going to lead to further militarization of the frontier, which is some of it is misplaced, of course. Uh, it's also uh, that these CBMs that you've talked about, the Border Defense Cooperation Agreement and others, it's difficult to understand why the militaries on both sides are unable to sort of follow through on this. I mean, I, I, it's inexplicable, really. So where do we go from here? Is it a political conversation that has to be had, given that it seems to be that the situation on the ground, in some sense, perhaps is going beyond what some of the protocols envisaged? And it seems that, as you just pointed out, they have been having those conversations, first at the Wuhan summit in 2018, and then at the Chennai summit in October last year. So in that sense, is the only way forward to address this at a political level? I think so. I think leaving it only to the military, which are institutions that are inclined to pursue security, right? That's their core mission of those organizations. They are not diplomats. so. And they also are not uh, inclined uh, to look at what the final settlement would be and where those concessions might have to be made. So I think uh, the Indian side has so far uh, achieved a, a, you could say, a, a positive outcome over the last 10 years, having developed this infrastructure. And I think we're just a few years away from doing an extraordinary amount of uh, uh, outreach to your frontier regions. Now, having done that, I think uh, both sides should get back to that uh, negotiating table, uh, including with the SRs, to begin to sort of now take a look at some of these gray zones a bit more seriously. So in a sense, what we need is an overhaul of the entire border border management process. So if if you just leave it down to sort of uh, uh, saying that, okay, both militaries have greater communication uh, and and they have these protocols, that's simply not solving the purpose because they've been instructed on both sides that they have to reach out to the edge of their claim lines, their LSCs. And the fact that they're both doing it at the same time is going to keep increasing the standoffs in face because now they have the infrastructure to back it up. So one of the problems has been China's lack of willingness to come and sit down and talk on some of the outstanding issues. India has proposed clarifying the line of actual control numerous times. Prime Minister Modi himself directly told President Xi during his first China visit in 2015 that the failure to clarify the LAC is leading to these incidents. I find it difficult to imagine what China's reluctance is, given that, as far as I understand, India isn't saying that we agree on the LAC, but we agree on 
two lines that would limit where India goes and where limit where China goes. It seems logically both sides sitting down and better understanding where their perceptions lie would be the first place to start. But in your understanding, what has been the stumbling block in at least trying to clarify where the LEC runs, which seems to be the most basic thing that both sides should be trying to do? So I think what we know from the past, these attempts were made in the early 2000s and it stalled, right? It, it started in the middle sector and the moment it moved uh, into other areas, the differences were so large from what we are told. Uh, that it uh, it sort of the, uh, it didn't make sense to move ahead because uh, they simply couldn't reconcile those differences. So I don't see how they're going to do so now, given the broader contentious sort of uh, noise surrounding the India-China relationship. Uh, uh, what what is possible is uh, them to, of course, you can go go even more ambitious and say now we're going to start the SR talks and try and actually go for a solution and not this sort of uh, halfway measure of just keeping it stable now. On the other hand, uh, the Indian side does have a valid point that now, since we are in much more proximity to each other, let's clarify this with an assurance because the Chinese have always had this sort of anxiety or fear that uh, the moment we clarify it, uh, the Indian side will simply not have an incentive to uh, reach that final settlement. So if the Indian side can credibly reassure and convey that the LSC clarification is by no means going to uh, reduce the momentum towards serious negotiation, then that is something where you could uh, go ahead. But I think what we need is something more immediate in the coming months and years where now you have these gray zones. You can no longer just say that you go ahead patrolling and you have these norms in place uh, you're not really adhering to them. You, I think you need to have much more stricter, more robust guidelines on how you're going to be probing here. Because for me, I mean, just putting my head around it, I'm not a professional military planner, but it just seems that the whole idea behind this probing was never to finally uh, change the status quo. It was symbolic probing. You probe up to your LSC, they probe up to theirs, they return back, and you have sent a message to your negotiators in Delhi and Beijing that these are acclaimed lines. Now, when you're making your concessions, you will have opportunities for give and take within sectors and across sectors. So it was about providing chips to the negotiators, not in actually jostling at, at a military strategic level or a conventional level or operational level, which is what it's now becoming. So this is the point that I made even in our earlier uh, conversation that it's a tactical situation now that is beginning to have a strategic life of its own. So. That is something uh, which definitely is not something which both sides should accept. So I think even here, the Chinese side do have a certain responsibility. And the reason I say that is because they've always held sort of a stronger hand on the frontier because of terrain, logistics, technology. And Indian side has never really been able to match that because of these uh, topographical, geographical, uh, just the lay of the land is very different. So I think they are seeing the Indian side now having attained a somewhat of a, a more stronger position in at least reaching out to these zones. Uh, it, uh, they need to now also uh, propose, uh, because after all, I, I mean, uh, I would like to assume both sides are uh, not going to sort of be bulls in a China shop here, right? You're seeking to, you're not seeking to engage in conflict over the gray zones itself. Uh, so uh, I think there's a sense that 
there's always been, uh, if I may digress slightly, I think on the Indian side, there's always been a a, a assumption or a, a premise that one of the reasons why the Chinese are reluctant in keeping the border somewhat unstable and simmering is it provides them some leverage on India, as, as maybe on India's foreign policy or on on just the the way the Himalayan zone is is playing out. And uh, I think that argument, if true, I think the Chinese need to also reconsider that this is not the area where you can engage in leverage for very long now, because it's becoming into a a, a, a toxic situation, a dangerous situation, and can spiral out of control. I mean, uh, so in a sense, I'm, I, I, I suppose I'm asking both sides to rise above playing a game which is now becoming too dangerous at that level. Play a larger sort of game. I'm, I'm not saying the Chinese are going to seize their competition or the Indian side is going to seize its competition, but to play that game on the frontier is no longer as straightforward as it used to be when you had enough space. Uh, if you if you can sort of get a sense of what I'm trying to convey. Lastly, Zorovar, as you mentioned, there are strategic implications. We're also looking at a new world changes that the current pandemic seems to be accelerating. Most dominantly, the U.S.-China rift when relations between the two superpowers seem to be drifting into an abyss. How do you think India should navigate all of these new changes? There have been recurring calls for India to grow more closer to the U.S., where do you think things will be headed? So, Anand, uh, briefly, this is, of course, a, a huge question. And I think the Indian uh, strategic community is continuing and will continue to debate many of these because they'll be sort of unsettled questions. So uh, what we're seeing is a shift from a U.S.-dominated order to a multipolar order. China's, of course, played a central part in, in, uh, in moving that power balance to Asia. But India's, of course, also played a part. So. How do we react to this? We have two interests at stake. One is we don't want world order to be disrupted and replaced by this clash of nationalisms. And if that is so, then we need to also work with China and the United States to safeguard those aspects of world order that we want to remain in place for ourselves and for a stable and a more prosperous Asia. So that's one. Uh, the other is uh, if uh, you are going to develop a strategic partnership with the United States, which we are in the process of doing. I mean, it's a journey. It's a process. It's not an end state. You need leverage because you're dealing with the United States that for whatever we can observe and the trends are that they're not interested in funding or subsidizing other rising powers to the extent that they can avoid it. So you need leverage to extract advantages from them. Uh, and to do that, you need to also have much deeper ties. And this is where uh, this multi-directional foreign policy for India has always made strategic sense. You have strong ties with Russia, with uh, the developing world, with Asia, but you also need a strong, stable relationship with China. The moment you give that up, you not only are in a uh, trajectory for uncertainty and conflict with China, with all its repercussions, but you also have sort of left the uh, bargaining table and strengthened the United States' hand because it's no longer going to take you as seriously. So. For both purposes, you have a, uh, a, in a sense, a strategic necessity to have a multi-directional foreign policy where you have stable ties with Washington, Beijing, Moscow, and others. So that's one. So uh, as far as coming back to this contemporary situation, what we're seeing on the frontiers, I think let's not forget that I'll take you back to 1950-51. India, 
undertook an operation to uh, extend its authority in to Tabang, and and that that particular operation, if you recall, did not even uh, evoke a slight sort of uh, a noise from Beijing at the time. So it just tells you that uh, that the broader context of the India-China relationship is really important when you're dealing with all these other. Aspects of of how uh, India and China are going to intersect. So, if you're having these problems today on the grey zones in the LSC in East in Eastern Ladakh and other areas, I think we also have to ask ourselves that there obviously is something at the broader political cultural level that has allowed this uh, uh, this relationship to descend to something which is simply uh, not being managed from the top. So here. Maybe uh, the Wuhan consensus needs to be sort of given another expression, but I think uh, both Beijing and Delhi need to sort of look quite seriously that do they want a stable relationship? And now that doesn't mean eternal friendship or bonhomie, but as two large neighbors with uh, several thousand kilometers of a frontier, you do need to have. You are responsible for Asian stability to have a a a a relationship that. You can manage your differences, but also participate in this power transition that's happening. So let's never lose sight of that bigger picture. Now, if the Chinese lose sight of that and the Indians lose sight of that, I think they are going to be the losers in this post-COVID world. Thank you so much, Arvind, for speaking with us today. Thank you, Anand.